So we are blessed today to be in the book of Philippians, and we are, last week we ended Philippians chapter one, and today we want to begin in Philippians chapter two, and we want to go down, Lord willing, down to the 11th verse and let God speak to us regarding what he has for us this morning. I will read those 11 verses, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God, reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you remember with me, as we have been looking in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. Most people feel like it probably was in Rome, and he was writing to this little fledging church of probably 30 to 40 people, just a small little group of believers, and this is who Paul was writing to as he was writing this work here. And here he was in a place that everything that surrounded him was not convenient. I would guess the food wasn't good. I know it was damp and cold. It was inconvenient in every way. And Paul was reaching out in a powerful way to this little church that one day would be a great monument of the work of God and beginning to teach them and speak to them about the Lord Jesus, but today, as I'm looking at this, and like one brother came up and shared, just there is so much here that speaks of the mind of Christ, and yet as I kept looking at this, I kept looking at the, the attitude that Paul was directing the believer at Philippi to have to soar to an altitude that they could have in Christ. Because really, the attitude determines the altitude. And wherever we are, we will only go as high as the attitude that God gives us in the spirit to soar where he wants us to go. So as we look at this together this morning, we're going to see Paul challenging first the church of Philippi to soar. He said, I'm gonna, I want you to fly high. I want you to go high. We have seen this as we've looked in the first, the first chapter too. And he says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, 
If there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. And you really look at that and Paul's saying, okay, if there is any, yes, there is. There's all kinds of encouragement in Christ. There's all kinds of consolation. There is fellowship. There is affection. There is compassion. Christianity is real. The spirit we get through the Lord Jesus is amazing that can give us the abundant life. And Paul was writing about this here. It would be a little bit like saying, if, um, if Phoenix, Arizona ever gets hot in the summertime, or if an apple tree raises apples, or if Barrows, Alaska is cold in the winter, then I want to appeal to you. Paul's saying, I've got an appeal to you. You had Philippi. Now, he could never get there again. There was walls that were surrounding Paul that would never leave him. He would lose his life as a martyr for, for Jesus Christ shortly. I don't know how many years. It could have been three years, five years. It wouldn't be many years. Paul's out of here. I've read that he died about my age. But when Paul comes here, he says, if this is true, if Jesus is real, I've got a little challenge. I want to lay this out. He says, I want you to consider this this morning at Philippi as you're reading this. And can you imagine Paul writing this in situations where he could have said, wow, why don't, why don't they get better food here? Or how come it's so cold? Or how come my situation is such? And you know, even as we come to a time like Memorial Day, and we mentioned this in prayer before the Lord, but Wow, we as American Christians don't realize how blessed we are. God has given us so much. It's so easy to lose the attitude of gratitude that keeps us flying, that keeps us soaring where God wants us to be. But Paul goes and he says, if this is true, in verse two, he says, here's my challenge. I want you to make my joy complete. I want you to bless me. He could be saying, Philippian church, you owe me one. I shared the gospel there. I brought the church to Christ. I led, the, I, I led Lydia to the Lord. I led the Roman, uh, Roman ruler and his household to the Lord. Now I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm in prison. I need a little encouragement. Maybe it's possible Paul, as he was writing this, could have been in one of those low times of his life. I don't know. It's easy to think, well, Paul just kind of floated on a, on a high plateau all the time, but that wouldn't be true. I'm sure there's days when he could not sleep at night. He woke up. He thought, oh, Lord, uh, how can I even? I just want to go home like we read in Philippians uh, the last week or so as we were looking in the previous chapter. But he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Notice where he's going. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. He is touching an area that he touched in in the earlier chapter. He is saying, I just can't wait to hear from Philippi that you're walking together in Jesus Christ. It'll make it worth it. It'll be, I'm waiting for the good news to come rolling in from a far land that would have been about 800 miles away. And he says, I, but notice how it would be that you would, you would have the same mind, the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. Now, in the Christian life, one of the beauties of the Christian church really is that God puts 
many kinds of people in the body, many vocations, many gifts, many backgrounds. And what happens, it's like where Deb and I used to live in Washington State. We could look off to the west because we were in the eastern side of the Cascades. And the big mountain that faced our picture window was Mount Adams. It was snow-capped year-round. But that mountain has a tremendous base that goes out beyond the peak, which is over 12,000 feet high. And that mountain is majestic. When the, when the clouds would get out of the way and the sun would hit that mountain, it would be like, wow, this is amazing. But as the word is speaking about oneness in Christ, the same mind, the same spirit, the Lord knows we don't all come from the same place. We don't have the same backgrounds, the same giftings. We don't have the same vocations of life, same history, but we look to the same place, the top of the mountain, which is the Lord from heaven. And as we do, the church becomes glorious. The church becomes beautiful in many ways, and Paul, and also the beauty and the blessing that flows from the church, and Paul was acknowledging this here, that just keeps going out is amazing because people are looking to the same focal point. You see, our problem often is we lose the focal point. When we get back to the focal point, the church is a beautiful place. It's majestic by the grace of God. God does amazing things. And Paul was just simply saying, I want to know that you're living like this, and this is how you're going to bless me. Paul doesn't write him and say, hey, pay off my, my cottage in Rome. He doesn't say, you know, take this and just, uh, could you take a, wipe out all my credit card debt? No, what he's saying is, I want to see you living together in Jesus. And out of that, he says, I'm going to be refreshed. I'm going to be nourished in the Lord. It's going to st strengthen me. I know some of you, I look out at some of you here, and I realize that uh, uh, Paul was, uh, you, many of you, I see several of you that have lived in Washington State, and, and it was in the last few months that Russell Wilson got the big contract as the quarterback of the Seahawks. I hear some yas out there, so we know they're here. You can't go yeah too much because we've got to keep that oneness in Christ, and if we lose that, that won't be a real blessing. But here's what spoke to me just in the last week or so is that Russell, one of the first things he did is he gets the contract and he reaches out and he buys his mother a new home. And he gives her a key and he says, Mom, this is that which I give you in thanksgiving for all that you have done for me. Just a touch of refreshment. Yeah, it's a big touch. We say, I, most of us said, I couldn't do that for Mom. And if it was probably, if I, could, if I could give him a little bit more advice, take a little bit more of that and get yourself some really good linemen. Because <laughs> they keep you protected and give you longevity. But here was a refreshment in the natural. And Paul was saying, if you want to help me in prison, live like this and you're going to bless me. You see, a lot of times we don't realize how far the blessing of God goes when we're walking in the spirit. We're walking in oneness with Jesus first. And oneness together, second, just like the cross, and the blessing just extends in the most amazing, amazing, abundant ways. 
And in verse three, Paul gives us this, um, just like, okay, here's the snow trespassing sign, or it's like the dead end road. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. And Paul reaches out and says, I'm gonna talk for a moment about the things that motivate the fleshly people, and that is a desire to live for self. At the core of almost all sin is selfishness. We see the symptom up here, but down here where we can't see it is self. And the other word he uses here is empty conceit, which is pride. I don't know if they're always walking together hand in hand, but they're awfully close together. And Paul is saying, don't do anything. And he says, off limits, don't go there. Don't do anything through selfishness or empty conceit. And he said, I just want to, I want to warn you, because what he knew was Philippi was a young, growing, flourishing church, but he knew something that can happen so easily in churches, is churches start turning inward. We build our bubbles, our little protectionist bubbles, our little right bubbles. And if not, we're not careful, it becomes sophisticated selfishness. And we don't recognize what we are touching. And God is saying, don't do anything by selfishness. Or Paul is saying this, but God really is through Paul. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. And he says, Church, uh, Church of Philippi, as I write to you, and I'm looking for the blessing coming back, because blessing really in the Christian faith is intended to go both ways. It's not just one way. Uh, God is bringing blessing back as we extend blessing. That's the way God works. But here, he just gives us example of this blessing of regarding one another as more important than yourself. You know, I think it was Paul writing to Philemon that he said this in Philemon 1 and 7. Uh, right before he's going to ask a real favor of Philemon, he's going to ask him to come back and forgive his runaway slave Onesimus, and he says, for I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. And in verse 20, after he had made the appeal, he says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. And Paul's saying, I'm longing for that refreshment that I need in the Lord. Philemon, I want to see God working through you and it will bless me. For a moment, it might sound a little selfish, but really what Paul was doing, he was provoking them to emulation. I want, I want to see the blessing come back even to the prison, prison that I'm at. In verse four, he says, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Maybe you could say, he's saying, I'm gonna ask you at Philippi as you mature to to think out of the box to bless. Bless in special ways that God lays in your heart. Give where you may not first think to give. It was last week in just one day, one 24-hour period. Uh, last Sunday afternoon, we were, we were having dinner with a, a wonderful sister over here at Denny's, and, and all of a sudden, pretty soon, the waitress comes, and she says, your meal has been totally picked up. And the next morning, I have the same restaurant with a brother, and pretty soon someone comes and says, your meal has been totally picked up. And at noon that same day, I was down or the next, a restaurant down the road, and, and here came this, uh, this woman saying, your meal has been completely 
picked up. Now, I've never had three in a day. <laughs> Usually doesn't work that way. Matter of fact, I took this guy one time to McDonald's, and for many years, I was always meeting these young guys at, at restaurants up in Washington, and his name was Pete, and he's a missionary in Haiti today. And I said, Pete says, I'm going to get the meal today. And I says, no, Pete, I'll grab it. And I knew it was tight. And he says, I'll let you get that meal if you can tell me right away when the last time was that someone got a meal for you. And I said, I don't know. He says, I'll take, I'll take the tab. So we had those dollar burgers or whatever it was that day. But, but the blessing of God comes in so many ways. And Paul was saying, I'm asking you at Philippi to think of blessing. Think outside of the box that you are so easily building that's around you. Letting God work in amazing ways that you didn't first see. A person, a place, a circumstance. And here he says, look out for those personal self-interest. He hits that selfish thing again, but the interest of others. And here again, he's speaking of that that, uh, you know, just that tendency, we're just kind of like a default, you know, you take your hands off the steering wheel in the spirit and you just start moving towards me. You just keep going. Do you ever notice that? Oh, why? I'm back to me again. My feelings, whatever it is. And God's saying, no, I'm asking you in the spirit to let me drive and lead, but you've got to focus beyond yourself to others. 1 Corinthians 10 and 24 Short little verse, Paul says, let no one seek his own good but that of his neighbor. And there he says, it's off limits. When you get there and you're just seeking in the church, living a selfish, self-absorbed life, uh, you're not soaring. You're, you're not catching the altitude that God wants us to have. High altitude always comes with a high attitude in Jesus Christ. They're, they're synonymous. You lose that. And you just keep on drifting down further and further and further. I saw a sign a couple years ago at a church that says, our church is like fudge, nuts with a few sweets. And that's probably true. Most churches are basically dysfunctional apart from the grace of God, and we are too. Most of us don't deserve love and kindness. Most of us don't deserve grace. That's why we're here. We walk in the doors and say, I'm one of those guys, God. I'm only here because of your amazing grace and what you have done. But Paul gives a big challenge here. He says, here's this great big attitude challenge. And this is how you're going to soar in Jesus Christ. This is how you're going to go over the top of the mountains. You're going to climb through valleys. You're going to watch Jesus work mightily. But then he says, okay, let's stop, step back. I want you to see this example of this person I'm going to look to. His name is Jesus. And for about five verses or so, we're going to look at the example. And I will confess to you, in all the years I've taught this, in all the places, I've taught this many times throughout the world, and as I've got through, I've thought, I don't get my head fully around what Paul's saying. It is too profound for this little guy. What he's saying about what Jesus did and who Jesus is and how far he has went for us is so amazing when you look at this. But let's get it together and let's just walk in it together because what he's doing, he's saying all of a sudden for a moment, I want you to see the perfect attitude. And out of the perfect attitude has the highest altitude. And he goes, I want you to see this in Jesus today. 
And in verse five, he begins when he says, have this, here it is, attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's easy to say, well, I'm not Jesus. That's so true. We know that. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, or he didn't have to choose a position. He did not have to seek his own. He did not choose equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Harpagamos is the word. He did not seize equality with God. No, we're going to see it was exactly the opposite with Jesus. As we look at Jesus, we'll see something. But in verse 7, but emptied himself. This is Jesus. What would that mean? He emptied himself of what? He came in the form of man. We will see this. He emptied himself of what? Was it a selfish pride? No, he had no pride. He emptied himself of that which was God to become a man. He emptied just like this glass. He poured it upside down and there was nothing left but what God wanted to put in there. And this is a secret to a high attitude that's gonna catch a tremendous altitude is letting God pour in us what he will do through an empty, open vessel. And Jesus said he became taking on the form of a bond servant. That is a slave. Paul introduced himself into this epistle, speaking of himself as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. A slave. I will come into the world and be a slave. This is Jesus. See, that's why so many of the world rejected Jesus. They looked for a king. They looked for someone who could beat up the Romans set them up in the right place, and Jesus said, no, I'll be a slave. I will be a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And being found in appearance as a man, now that is amazing because John says it like this, he was in the world, the world was made by him, the world did not know who he was, and being found, he was a creator God of the world, of the universe, and yet he be, be found in appearance as a man Then he humbled himself. You say, how did Jesus do it? And it says it right there, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't know if you see this here with me, but uh, in the spirit, the high road is often found taking the lower road. Jockeying for the high position was not where Jesus was. He came to serve. And you'll see a verse in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 22 and 27, here's a companion verse. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, says Jesus. That's normally what we think, or the one who serves. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? Oh, yes, we say. But Jesus says, I'm the one who serves. 
Jesus said, I'll take the other road. It's like that, uh, that poem by Her uh, Longfellow, the two roads diverged in the yellow wood and I took the one less traveled by. I'll take the road, Jesus said, that no one else would travel to bless. And as we look at this, I, I go back and I was thinking about uh, uh, Abraham and Lot back in Genesis chapter 13. And you may remember this, and we think of a man of faith in Abraham and what was the characteristics of his life. But you know one of the amazing things of Abraham's life is when Abraham came to, there at the point of conflict and he had every right, I believe, the brothers were quarreling. They were fighting. And Abraham came together with his nephew. He had, he had family authority over him. And he said, Lot, the brothers are fighting. He says, you choose. You either choose the, the plains, the well-watered soil, I'll take the mountains. You just take, take a choice. Lot looks out there and says, give me the plains, the well-watered soil. And Abraham says, okay, I'll take, the, I'll, I'll take the mountains. And Abraham chose the lowest road in many ways for God to bless at the highest road. You see, the Christian life is always teaching this truth that the way up is down. The way to be strong is to be weak. The way to be rich is to be poor in the spirit. This is what the word continually teaches. And it's so easy. And Jesus, it's interesting that Paul was reminding these brothers here about this as he points to Jesus. But I think it's a good example. This church was just one of the, the, the beacons of faith and work of God in so many ways. But Jesus was teaching through this that you at Philippi, as much as you're going to be used by God... I want my brother Paul to remind you that you can easily forget where true power lies and the way to have soar at a very high altitude. Now, the word of God here says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, the word says he emptied, emptied himself and I, I just think about that like the glass. But there's a verse in Isaiah 53 and 12 uh, that's prophetic of this when it says, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Another verse that kind of parallels there in, in, uh, in, in the New Testament, Mark 10, 45, it says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served. You remember what he did? He grabbed the towel in the basin, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, years ago, uh, when I was a young pastor, we had a guy that lived down the road and he had two gifts that I knew of. He was just a servant, but one of the gifts was he had the gift of reflexology, foot rubbing, but I mean to tell you, I've never had a foot rub like this guy could give. His name was Will, and he would look at you, and he put alcohol all over my feet. He'd start squeezing your feet, and it would hurt so bad, but I would have to sit there and just act like it didn't hurt, you know, and I'm okay. Probably some of you have been there before with, the, with, a, with a good, hard foot rub. And another thing he loved to do, he just loved to go out and help the widows and the shut-ins that were all through the community of California where I lived. And, and what was really cool, he'd come down to Arizona in the wintertime. And in those days, I was a young pastor. Arizona seemed to me like it was like China. It was so far away. But Will would go down here, and he'd live here. 
And when he'd come back, I'd say, what'd you do? Well, he said, well, I just, uh, I have a couple gifts. One is uh, foot rubbing, reflexology. So I just go around and pray that God will show me a shut-in, a person that's suffering, and I'll go over and just rub their feet and do it for free. If he charged me, he charged seven bucks in those days. And he says, the other one I really love to do when I'm there is I find all of these citrus trees that people don't pick with grapefruit and oranges, and I load them up in bags, and I take them these shut-ins and just fill their places. And that's what the guy did. He's gone. God took him home. But to me, it was just a tremendous example of a man who just simply said, God, I'll serve you in some simple ways for your glory. You know, a lot of times we, we, we miss God's place because we're looking another place. And I, I believe we can all acknowledge that in some level. We're looking over there and God says, there it is. And Will just says, okay, I'll rub your feet. We, Deb and I would get ready to go on a, a speaking trip and I'd be going to another part of the country. The phone would ring and Will said, I'm coming over, no charge. I'm just coming over. I'm gonna rub your feet and Debbie's feet before you go. I just wanna bless you. I can't go, but I can rub your feet. Now, there's a lot of ways to bless that sometimes we forget that has a lot to do with soaring high in Jesus Christ. What God sees and what man sees is two different things entirely. The places that God's hallmark of Christians that are serving are people that are out there almost overlooked and forgotten. I look at some, some of the places, even in the last few weeks, there's some of you right here that God has just brought your gifting to me. One of the things in my heart in this church is that we would reach out and we would strengthen this body, just like I'm talking about that mountain. We'd build a stronger volunteer base that would just keep going out and it would get stronger and stronger. There'd be layers of volunteers that are handing off to others that are handing off to others. But each time you're blessing and you're, someone else is there. But see, I can't rub feet. I can, but I'm not him. I could pick some oranges, but you usually think I don't have the time, maybe. Will had the contacts. You've got those too. It's not that, but it's something that God has given you in a special way. And the word of God says, uh, what's amazing here is when, it come, when you come to the end of this challenge about Jesus and the example, he says that he became, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And then the lowest of all that Jesus chose, he didn't have to go there, was the death of a cross. He did not have to go there. He could have stopped and said, I don't have to go there. Some people just taunted him. Can't you call 10,000 legions of angels? They'll come down, get these guys out of here, curse the whole bunch of them. No, that's not what he did. He said, I'll go because I love them so much that this is how I will truly bless. And we know there was a blood sacrifice there that, we can, that took away every sin of those who believe by faith. That's not what we're speaking about today for us. We cannot save others through a sacrifice, but we can bless others tremendously when we are allowing, allow these lives and bodies to become living sacrifices for Jesus. Now, what's really cool here is we're just gonna glance quickly at the end of this. The result of what Jesus did is things started changing quickly. You're here today and I'm here today because a lot changed really quickly for this reason. Notice the lingering here. I want to linger for this reason also 
God highly exalted him. God looked at his son who gave his life, who lived a subservient life, who came as a slave, who emptied himself, and the word of God said he highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. God said amen to the sacrifice. Not just for blood, not just for salvation, but God said This satisfies me even by the perfect example. And I am going to lift him up. And we know what happened. Not only did he live, not only did he die, not only did he buried, but he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Then he ascended on high and there on the Mount of Olives going back into heaven and God said amen. And I want us to hang on to this because this is so important when we think of God giving him a name above every name. In the Greek, that is kairos. It is the Yahweh name, his name above every name. God says, this is my son, and I will exalt him. Hebrews 1.4, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. God's saying, I will give him the name that is above every name. And I believe the apostles, you saw this often in the book of Acts, they began to speak of Jesus, the name which is above every name, that would cause every knee to bow, every tongue would confess. So that at the name of Jesus, verse 10, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. I want us to notice the word will. Some places it says every knee shall bow right now, like Romans 14 and 11. But here it says that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. God's, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. If we do not acknowledge him in this life, there will come a time guaranteed by the word of God that we will acknowledge him as King of kings and Lord of lords. There will be no unbelievers in hell. They all believe, but just a little bit too late. But today we have the privilege through Christ to acknowledge him as a king of kings and lord of lords. Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven. Notice how far sweeping this is. This looks like the angels, doesn't it? The redeemed saints and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let's look at what happened because one person humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. God lift him up. High, higher than the heavens gave him a name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee will bow. Isaiah 45 and 23, God speaking, I have sworn by myself the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back, that to me every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Here's a a beautiful passage that happens in the book of Revelation after the church age. Revelation 5, verses 13 and 14. And every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying, notice how far that name is going. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, 
be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Do you see how far he is soaring? How far the message of Jesus has went because one person, Jesus, came in the world. He gave his life as a perfect sacrifice. And he was exalted by the Father. His name lifted up above every name. And everyone is, is and, and how far that goes and how far that sweeps today is just what we call amazing grace. But it's also speaking about what God does in the heart of his children. We see the example of Jesus, but what he's saying to the church of Philippi is, Philippi, if you'll follow me, and you'll choose the path that I ask you to choose, I will bless you tremendously. I will bless the church. And, and Philippi is a beautiful example of that because the word of God would sound out through the Macedonian churches all over the world. And Paul said one time in Thessalonians, I don't even have to speak anything because the word of God went out so clearly. Can I get a little personal here? I don't think we have a clue what God can do in this church when God's people turn to him and give him their complete heart and say, God, I just want to follow you and I will walk completely in the way that you asked me to go. And I'll even choose the low road outwardly so you can exalt in the high road. I'll choose the hills, God. I'll choose the place you want that you can multiply your blessing abundantly in every way that you want to multiply your blessing. You see, this is who God is looking for today when 2 Chronicles 7 and 14 says the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in those whose heart, on behalf of those whose heart is made perfect toward him. God is looking for men and women just like that. Some of you are already there. Some, some, of, some of you have made decisions in your life that was so overwhelming. But you finally said yes to God and you watched God multiply it. We're not Jesus. You're not Jesus. But there is a wonderful truth here that Jesus, his own life and his own death testifies of. You don't outgive God. God gives Jesus a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. I believe that we, as, as Christians, we, there's this, the, the, the desire of our heart is, God, I, I want the highest altitude that you can possibly give me in Christ. I wanna enjoy the richest blessings, be used the most by you, to, to find you at the greatest places. And God takes us to a place of saying, I want the attitude. The attitude of Jesus was he just emptied himself. Even at the cross, think he just crawled out to God and said, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And God just began to multiply that. We do not give God. His resources are too great. But what God does is when his children come, in whatever way we do, and we surrender to him, and we come with hearts that are open, 
and we say, Lord, take us. And this is what happened to Philippi. We're gonna witness this as we go further into this book. Philippi and the ministry of Philippi just got more powerful and powerful and powerful because they were willing to surrender to the Lord. And God was able to do things. One place it'll say, no one would even give to, the mass, to Paul's ministry but this little church in Philippi. They said, we'll be the ones. And this is what God will do in every heart and every life here. And this verse in Romans, we jump over a lot of times in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. But it is so important. It's, it's, beyond, it's beyond just giving our life to the Lord in salvation, but it is included in salvation. And this is what it says, Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus, your Lord, I'm going to confess it. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Jesus, not only are you Lord, but I'm going to believe that God from my heart has raised you from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, and this is the beginning of that attitude, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And when we confess the Lord Jesus, and it may not be for salvation today, it may be just coming back and saying, Lord, I can't do it without you. I can never make it without you. When we confess the Lord Jesus, we begin to soar. It may not look like it, it may not feel like it, but God begins to bear us up in the most amazing ways and give us strength to do what we could never do. But he wants us to confess him as, as Lord. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new mind. We could take the same passage and just talk about the mind of Christ. And the word of God teaches that we can't change our attitude, but God can. When we confess him as Lord, he can change it. I don't know how many times in your lives God has just all of a sudden knocked on the door and said, it's time for an attitude correction, but it's been that way with me many times. It's just time to adjust the attitude. And the first thing he says is, confess me as Lord. Let me know I got it. Let me know you can't handle it and speak that from the depths of your heart and I will begin to do a work in multiplication that you can't even believe and my name will be lifted up in the end just like Jesus. His name will be exalted because we come to the place that we confess him as Lord. And as this little church at Philippi that God so multiplied and I don't even think it was ever many numbers from what I've read. It never got too big, but it just became exceedingly active and alive because a few people believed that Jesus could do what he said he would do. And they came to a place that confessed him as Lord. And the Lord heard that confession and he filled them with his spirit. He gave them their, the power they needed and their lives were changed forever. And those changed lives changed many, many more lives. This is what happens when God takes an attitude and through his son, Jesus Christ, he empowers that individual and they begin to soar to an altitude they never thought was possible. And right here in this assembly today, God will take each of us, each of you to places as you soar to new heights in Christ that you never thought was even imaginable. 
but he wants us to confess him as Lord. And that's where we're at as we close this service. The privilege of simply confessing Jesus as Lord. Just, Lord, I can't do it, but you can. And I'm going to believe that. And if your son went before me and he made the way and he gave his life as a perfect sacrifice, I'm going to believe it, Lord. And as he was obedient unto death, I will follow you where you asked me to go. And I'll follow you the rest of my life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the life that uh, you give us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the gentle rebukes of the word, for the challenges of the word. But more than anything, Father, we thank you for your son who went before us, not only to give us the perfect sacrifice in death, but also the perfect example in how he gave his life and how he walked among men. Oh, Father, bring us, give us the heart of the servant that you want us to be. Help us to choose the road less traveled by. Oftentimes it may look low, but Lord, you declare in your word it's high. And I pray, Father, that your will can have free course in this assembly, in everyone that's here, that your work can be done to your glory till you come again. And we would pray, Father, even so, come quickly. Lord Jesus, amen.